<laughs> look at my Facebook. I just deleted. Um, ready? <laughs> Set. Um, hi. This is for the girls podcast. Back, girlfriends. We're back. I'm Nick Westrate. This is Jason Black. And uh, this is a podcast about queer people, uh, lesbian people, gay people, uh, all types of people who are fans of iconic female performers. And we haven't talked about our, our all of our aunties that we've yeah. dedicated so many of these episodes to. Our aunties love. Diane. Yes, that's who it's for. Our aunties love divas. It's about divas. Yeah, this is a diva podcast. Um, it's the world's it's, just... it's the world's premier queer diva podcast. <laughs> would you say yes, that? Would absolutely. you say that's true? I well, if I had done any research on it, I <laughs> think I could, but I have not. I have done no research. I'm so going to say I it's true know, because so. I ask for forgiveness instead of permission. Yes, and, and I live in oblivion, so <laughs> I think it. I, anything I think is true is absolutely true. Um, Yes, we're a diva podcast, and we're coming at you. Hi, babe. Hi, babe. Hi. This is like going to be the hottest take ever. We're doing this like in real time. This is Monday, and this will come out tomorrow. Oh, whoa. Yeah. What's current, y'all? <laughs> um, <laughs> These are the hottest takes you'll to... <laughs> ever get from this podcast. I, I know it actually truly is. We used to have, we have we talked about this. We had an idea when we were. Uh, conceptualizing this, that we were going to do Diva News. Diva News. You remember that? Yeah, Diva News. And we, and we, we asked that like, idea pretty quick. Yeah. That, it felt so confusing and wrong because we were like, we can't even pronounce Ariana Grande's name properly. How do we know what's going on? Though she released oh, a Christmas to... album, though. She started, she, or something on her tour. She's doing a bunch of Christmas shit on her tour. And so the Mariah so stands were like, everyone was like, oh, thank you, Ariana, for inventing Christmas. And then the Mariah stands went crazy. So there's a bit of diva news, fandom diva news for you. They've been at each other's throats. Um, how was your week, babe? What's going on? Oh, oh my gosh. My Well, the other th- the other diva, I, so I do other have other diva. Did I talk about this? About going to see Wizard of Oz? Did I tell you I went to see Wizard of Oz? You told me you were going to see Wizard of Oz. Yeah, I well, I did. Um, with our... Uh, Known AMC ticket stubs premiere uh, seating in Burbank, and you know I I cannot remember actually I I you know I saw it when I was a kid, um, and I don't really think I saw it again. I think it was just so near and dear to me, and I watched it a million times. I just never wanted to touch it again. I wanted to kind of keep it in amber, and I, so I can't remember the last time I saw it. But then I saw it in the theater. I knew every line. I knew every word. I knew every moment. Oh. It was it was so it was like a big, warm, beautiful blanket. I I can't tell you how how grateful I was. I went by myself at my, that classic two PM, you know, where it's just me and three grandmas. And it was it was totally fabulous. Oh, beautiful. Oh, I'm how so... are you, babe? Oh, but are in other gonna... diva news, what? I put this on our what? stories on Instagram, but Mary Kay Place was fucking nominated for a motherfucking Gotham Award for Best Actress for a little movie called Diane. Do you know what I think is going to be the real race is the AARP Awards for adults. <laughs> we, should because just, can you just... <laughs> we should just do an episode on that award show. I mean, can you imagine the bloodshed between Diane's palms and, and Mary Kay Place's Diane's Diane? <laughs> I mean, it is going to be brutal, sweetie, and we are going to be here for it. Where does that air? Does that air on like A&E or something? Do you, do you think we Lifetime? Figure, do you think we could figure out how to do like a live pod by that time? Yeah, call our TV listings. I'm sorry, we where does do the IGTV. ARP awards? We could do IGTV yeah. with like a split yeah. screen. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, this have is viewing really, parties. This have really viewing parties. Make us take off. I just know it. Yeah, I know it. God, yeah. Um, yeah, no. we need to start hashtagging AARP. Hashtag AARP. I know. Gosh, <laughs> get our aunties and grandmas on it. No, I'm good though. Um, except for you know, this week. Well, it was my birthday, which was super fun. And then I'm doing a play, so my voice is really tired. So pardon uh, everybody for having to hear my rasp. But and it just opened. The play just opened. The play just opened, and. Then we got daylight savings time. So I just want to warn all of our listeners. I, I've been plunged back into darkness on the East Coast. So you're going to get more of these kind of seasonal depression episodes where Jay and I just cry through the whole thing. If you don't remember uh, those, just go back to last year. Just go to Dar. Just go to Dar. We're like, we were 
fully in a, we were fully like February will be forever. <laughs> it won't be any more other months. I feel but like February. That now. I feel like that now. Really? It's, so, it's just like creeping in on me. Like I go out at like four thirty and it's pitch black. Oh, that's I know. It's it is it it's not as brutal here. I think it's about five thirty to six here, so it's not as brutal. But yeah, the daylight savings time. I was in the desert when it changed and we were all kind we were kind of having a a group hangout and all of us woke up at six o'clock at 6 a.m. just like wide awake yeah and we were like we can't go back to sleep now and i hope elizabeth warren has a plan for that because i am i can't deal with it daylight savings time for all is gonna be her plan Also, what? my other what? news what? is last night I... News. Diva News. The other Diva News is last night I started my fresh new copy of Little Women. <gasps> Girl. We don't have much time. You we get gotta it from get your going. local it's, Amazon shop? It's, it's big. No, I went to a little local store and got my book. Called Barnes & Nobles. <laughs> I, isn't that like... No, I got it at the store. I go in... No, I'm telling you, now at this point, going to Barnes & Noble's is charity. I Those places are closing. I drove fast to Barnes & Noble the other day and almost started crying, thinking of how iconic they were. Like, going to Barnes so & Noble. Iconic. I was saying to someone the other day, like, going to Barnes & Noble. So much gay feelings. Uh-huh. Going to the magazine section and finding that, like, Attitude magazine or the Out or the XY magazine. Instinct. Uh-huh. Inst- Instinct. Inst- and then Instinct. taking it to the bathroom <laughs> to read it. I would put it in, like, another magazine. Mm-hmm. And like sit and just be like, you would put it inside Martha Stewart living, like that made you. Oh, for sure. And then my mom would come and she's like, We already have Martha Stewart at home. Why would you come to Barnes and Noble and read it? (laughs) But yeah, no, I got Little Women, so I started reading it. So, uh, in case you don't listen to every episode, we're gonna do in December, we have a Little Women fan coming on, and we're gonna do a Little Women episode. And it's we're gonna do the book, and then we're gonna do the movie. So we want all of you. What is it like? Is it like eight hundred pages? No, is it's it only like it's like four fifty. It's like four fifty. Whoa! All right, mm-hmm. bring yeah. So Diva get your news. copies. Yeah, get of, the book. Get your copies of Little Women. Go to a bookstore. Try not to buy it on Amazon. I'm gonna have so much time to read this book because I just deleted Facebook. You know what? I might buy. <laughs> yeah, girl, plug that. Boom. Um, boom! I deleted it. Um, which I'm proud of you. And. What I want to do is actually get the Little Women copy that I remember, like, from my fourth grade mm. um, memory. And so I might actually get mine on eBay uh, and get it oh. used. But I'm still supporting... Whoever know, the fuck is selling their shit on eBay. Yeah, that's That's cute. right. Direct people. So, yeah, I'm very um, excited for, for definitely that cover. But, yeah, y'all get on it. Get on that's it. Little Women for December. It's such a fall read. Oh, love it. Okay. Okay, here we go, uh, Battle Angels. So, <laughs> for all of you catch, keeping up with us, um, we like to do some iconic... What do you, what'd you call those when we... Recurring segments. Oh, recurring, recurring, yeah, we have a few recurring episodes. We've got your favorite Jason's Moldy VHS Collection episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, we have your iconic Bette Midler episodes that we serve you <laughs> we have, every we quarter. Have, uh, <laughs> My favorite murder she wrote episode. My favorite murder she wrote. There's only one of those, but we promise there'll be more. There will be more. I got y'all know how I had so much fun on that. And then um, the other one we've done technically only one of, but technically two of, because I count Dar Williams is Diva. You should know. Diva, you should know. Yeah. And who's the other one we did? So we did Dar Williams. We did Phoebe Snow. Kind of. And we really did Phoebe Snow, which was I, I feel like so we did Dar Williams, but really we just talked about our feelings. <laughs> On that, primarily, yeah. and about how depressed we were, um, <laughs> and then, but then we real, then we really laid into Phoebe Snow and kind yeah. of got deep on that life, and that was really fabulous. And um, and so now we're going to do a diva who, and so Nick and I always threaten this that we're going to do a, a thirty minute podcast, and we've we just we just gab 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 like two two little turkeys on Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> um, and we never can get it short, but this could be real short because this diva you should know is the grand high mystic of Laurel Canyon, Judy Sill. Judy Sill. Sp- spelled J-U-D-E-E. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. S-I-L-L um, as in your window. Yes. And I want to say, I always want to call her Still. S-T-I-L-L. You sometimes right? do. Judy Still. Yeah. I, I, I sure do, girl. I just do whatever I want. She's the and, other um, Judy. She's the other Judy. She really is. And this this could really be that 30-minute episode because she only ever did two albums. She only did she, two albums, yeah. 
she came on the scene and then she left that scene. Um, unfortunately, really great, but her life is kind of like a Hollywood movie. Yeah, uh, it's 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 kind of full of the of twists and 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 turns. Um, and her music was really out of her time. I think, um, even for this like current moment, I think it still kind of lives uh, in this. A timeless frame of of a true genius. So, okay, yes. kitties. Without further ado, are we ready? I'm ready. Let's get I'm into ready. it. Let's get into the Judy Sill lifetime. There's a rugged road on the prairie, stretching all across the last frontier. There are strangers strive solitary. Blessed is the lonesome pioneer. Roll on, roll on, roll on. Night birds are flying. Come on, the light is gone. Hope's slowly dying. Tell me how you come riding through. Still surveying the miles yet to run. On a lonely, lonely road to Kingdom. Oh, beautiful. Don't you love that song? I love that song. I love that she's basically singing about daylight savings time. <laughs> she sure is. She's singing about the long and rugged road. She said the light is gone and hope is slowly dying. That's how I feel. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Girl, you got some real seasonal stuff, mama. his to just a spark. Okay, are we ready? Okay, here's the story of Judy Sill, who's at, who was actually born Judith Lynn Sills. It's very important. On October seventh, nineteen nine, nineteen forty four, in Ware Studio City, girl. Yay! One of your favorite, my favorite. Yeah, real cute in the valley. Um, but she actually spent her uh, uh, early childhood in Oakland, mm. where her father owned a bar, and he was a terrible drunk. Um, and, and and this is funny because it kind of comes back. The thing is with, with Judy, there isn't much information that you can get on her. Right. It's very limited. She does not have um, a lot of interviews. And she really did. She was When she was on the scene, she was on the scene for such a limited time and then completely went into obscurity. She didn't really do anything else. So a lot of this stuff almost sounds like make-believe, but her father not only owned a bar, but he also was in the business of trading exotic animals for film sets. Oh my God, I love yes, that ma'am. so much. And supposedly there's a rumor that she started working with animals later in life. Oh, yeah. Who knows? It also reminds me of my friend Grace Zabriskie, who smuggles exotic <laughs> parrots on the show Big Love. Okay, girl. Diva jokes. Diva news. <laughs> Diva jokes. We're going to bring it to you. I've been wanting to rewatch that, by the way. Big Love. Shout out. We could do a whole Big Love thing, Mama. We could That's... do my favorite Big Love. My Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, and then my next line that I wrote was, shit was wild back then. <laughs> really important line to remember. Um, but in that bar, uh, that's where Judy started learning how to play the piano. And she uh, talked about that it was a really crazy uh, a place to learn while everyone was puking and having horrible uh, bar fights, which I think is kind of fabulous, right? Like the first uh-huh. place you learn, like you don't really get that anymore, do you know? Also at the bar, there's this great there's this great interview uh, with Judy Sill in London where she talks about she wanted to get into music because when she was little she wanted to harmonize with members of her family, but everyone in her family was really bad at singing, and so no one could harmonize with her. So then when she found her the piano in her dad's bar, she learned that she could harmonize with herself with the keys on the piano, 
And so cool? she started doing that when she was three. And in the interview, the question was, when did you start becoming a musician? And she was like, so that's when I started. When I was around three, I became a musician. And the guy's like, no, but a professional musician. And she kind of like balks at the line between the two of them, you know, which I love about her. You know, kids don't do that no more. They just, they, at, at four years old, they just throw their shit up on YouTube and hope they can Justin Bieber it all the way to fame. Right. right. This is some old, old school piano bar playing. Well, all that ended because her dad died in uh, 52 of right. pneumonia. Tragic. This is like one of her, for, one of her many tragic things. This, <laughs> this beautiful soul has had some tragedy. And then yes. her mother, whose name is Onetta. No, mm. come on now. Mm-hmm. Give me some Onetta. Everyone's some bringing back all that old timey names. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Give me Onetta. Give me a yes. little baby Onetta over here. That's what I would do. Probably my next cat. Um, <laughs> and Onetta moved back to LA and married Kenneth Muse, who was an animator for what? Tom and Jerry. Oh yeah, that's right. Her stepdad drew Tom and Jerry. Her, yeah, and he 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 drew God. other things too. And on top, so. So not only were they say they said like bizarrely later in life she also started working with exotic animals supposedly, but that there's also it was also rumored that she started she was an animator too later in life. Yeah, she was. Which a, I think she was, was a cartoonist. A cartoonist, which I think is kind of really, really interesting because she fucking hated her stepdad. He also was just like a real raging asshole of a drunk, and then and so was Onetta, and so there was a um, bunch of of problems in the family, like a bunch of physical fights. She ended up staying with other family members to avoid all the drama. And like I said, there isn't really many interviews, but there is, she did do one in Rolling Stone right after her first album came out in 72. And so I'm going to be quoting from that a lot. And the interview was by Grover Lewis. And I just wanted to tell you, I just wanted to give you a little bit of the taste of how it start, starts out. Cause it's, it's kind of beautiful how they wrote back in the good old days. Um, and he and he starts out with saying that he's in a hotel with Judy, and there's all the, and there's Gideon Bibles like spread out, and that actually the maids would open the Gideon Bible to certain passages, wow. and so you would it would be kind of laid out, and so and this is how he starts that interview with Judy. Judy in disguise with lemon tinted glasses sits beside the table with a Bible on it with a Bible on it, feet propped up on the unmade bed beside a suitcase exploding with rumpled clothes. Her back to the view of hot Sunday sky and distant bruised purple mountains visible from the sun deck. Judy has special gifts. She writes and performs songs so severely beautiful as a small gold cross she wears at her throat. As severely beautiful as her own severe beauty. Given the proper time and place, she will swallow a burning roach or several. Right now, though, she is exercising ghosts. It's eerie in the room's muted saffron light. Wow. Isn't that, doesn't that just kind of give you the shivers? And so this is what Judy, in that interview, this is what Judy says about her home life. I was a teenager. And it's so funny because you can, Judy kind of has this like Southern, just kind of down home talk. Mm. You know, she, she has no pretensions in her voice. Um, I, and so this is what she says about kind of that turbulent time. I was a teenager by then and pretty big and strong. So I started fighting back. If my mother hit me, I'd sock her back. It was a pretty even match with her, but not with my stepfather. When I finally let myself feel the injustices of my life, I become uncontrollable. So there was violence all the time. I always had scars on my knuckles. We had such violent fights at our house that the police and newspaper men would come. Wow. And that's when she's back in L.A., right? Yeah, that's... So that's... Yeah, that's when she's... um, that's uh, this is kind of like right around when she's in high school, and y'all, high school did not go well for her. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. She was like exploding with rage, and at some point, they forced her into a private school. Did you read about all this? Yes. Well, it's just well, wild. she she was a fucking armed robber. She, okay, so that's later. Ooh, that's later, Mama. Oh, was it? I thought this that is, was when she was in high school. Well, so she so first so yeah so she she was she was sent from. Um, public high school to this like private high school that was run by these like doty old women and she was like I was the queen of the misfits she was like I was with the president of the outcasts is what <laughs> she said and she and then and she started kind of um, getting more into her 
kind of musical education there, actually. She was uh, playing for the choir. This is the reform school, right? Yes. So yes. she got sent there after she was an armed fucking robber. Oh, okay, no, 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 no. no. So this is just another private school, and then she goes to reform school after oh, the armed shit. robber. Yeah. She, she she bounced around a lot. Yes. Okay. Yes. So this is later. And yet, this is, but y'all, this she is... was an armed fucking robber. She and a boyfriend. Oh, like, let's get into Held it. up a store. Held up multiple gas stations. Which and, she was like 15. Um, yeah. And she was just, I wonder if I have the quote on that. Oh, this is, okay. Okay. So she would, um, so she would hold up, uh, yeah, uh, like, like gas stations and kind of, I think like grocery stores, just kind of small time. And this is what, she, and this is her quote on that. She said, I carried a 38. I would rehearse holdups with it in front of a mirror, trying different ways to see which seemed the most treacherous. You heard about that nervous um, robber who said, okay, mother sticker, this is a fuck up. Well, that was me. I still don't know whether I would use the gun or not. Maybe. Oh, shit, Judy. Okay, she- mother sticker, this is a fuck up. <laughs> She, I, I was thinking, like, I'm surprised she didn't end up in the Weather Underground because she, like, looks like one of the Weather Underground girls, you know? Doesn't she kind of look like my mom, Shelly, a little bit? Have you ever seen my mom from yeah, that time period? Yeah, she does period? look like your mom in that time. Yeah. Because Shelly had really long hair and kind of did kind of glasses and kind of didn't do really too much. And I was kind of like, oh, yeah, that's, that's giving me the Shelly Cali vibe right there. Yeah, um, but all hippies kind of look the same, I guess. All yeah, hippies look plain. the same to me. <laughs> what is the line in the rose? We don't serve hippies. Well, good. good I don't need them. We don't need them. <laughs> Back quote. Boom. I had. I actually had it in my notes that I was that I was going to surprise you, but I still won that one. Um, yeah. So she became an organist at that reform school, right? Right. Yeah. And so that's kind of where she was getting. And so, so then she got. So then she left that. That Judy also had a ton of bad relationships, um, and and that was one of the significant ones. And so yeah, then she went to reform school again. She and was an organist. Something I read about her that I thought was so beautiful, and I'd like to play for you right now, is she was very heavily influenced by Bach's cello sonatas. I just want to say about that piece of Bach, like that that piece is played a lot, and so it may seem like a cliched piece of classical music to play, but things are only cliched because they were stolen from us by advertisers and overused. Like, don't let that make you not listen to Bach all the time. Like, I love listening to the cello sonatas, especially if I have to concentrate or if I have to learn lines or anything like that, or I have to engage my mind in a very specific way and they're so beautiful when I read that about her I was like I felt this chill of connection to Judy because I love the Bach cello sonata so much and I want to then like I said uh, take us into her song The Donor which is kind of this epic eight minute freak song in which she has people it's actually one of the only songs that she has a male voice on in the chorus and they they chant Latin chasing to the
And you can tell how she takes a lot, takes all of these influences, which is classical, which is country, which is folk, and kind of mix it, mix it into this kind of baroque sound, and mixes um, it with lots of lots of heavy Christian imagery. Yeah, that's 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 kind of her. It's funny. It's our running theme is Christian imagery, but really her songs are not Christian, which is no. kind of fabulous. Yeah. She she's really into the mythology and theology. I think of of, of yeah, spirituality. She was obsessed, she was obsessed with. Uh, she studied theosophy, which and is you know, what's that? Okay, I'm just going to read a definition of theosophy. <laughs> um, associated with their monism are the beliefs that God is utterly transcendent and impersonal. That creation is the product of spiritual emanations from God, and that humans are sparks of the divine trapped in the material world who desire to return to their spiritual Okay, so, okay, so, if you can imagine all of this stuff going on in Judy's life, after she got caught for being a really shitty robber, and going to, she she actually went to jail for points, and then she did the reform school, and then she got deep into LSD, and that's kind of what started informing all of these thoughts and spirituality. She actually said that she did baby LSD every single day for up to a year. Wow. Which, yeah, wild. And around that time, her mom died. So she had kind of no home base because she couldn't go and live with her stepfather. She actually said her father would lock every single door in the house except for one window. So when she would get into the window, he would be there to like attack her. So things were pretty wild and crazy. And then things kind of unfortunately got a little worse. Why? Because she fell in love with the keyboardist. And he was in love with the bad shit. Nope, don't do it. And he was in love with the bad shit heroin. Mm-hmm. And so then they moved. To, this is I don't know. This is this, this is not a movie. Then they moved to Vegas. They moved to, to Vegas. Be, she's twenty two. Goddamn to be Vegas musicians and unfortunately some really bad heroin addicts. And she got into sex work mm-hmm. to support her habit. She got into uh, forging checks, and it was actually with the forging checks that get her back into the slammer. And during that. Around that time, during that jail stint, she got clean and she was like, I was just puking my brains out and trying to rethink about my life. And uh, she kind of, she has a, I think I'm misquoting this, but essentially says all the energy um, I put into being an addict, I was going to try to put into being the greatest songwriter of the world. Wow. So I think she was really trying to, and for me, cue this, for me. Why? Because she was a soldier of the heart. Soldier of the heart.
Now we're in, so now we're in 1966, and Judy's kind of got her act together. She's left that keyboardist, and she starts hitting the music scene. And she uh, is in LA, and she starts performing in nightclubs. I, I just the late 60s, early 70s in LA is everything. So fucking everything and exciting to me. And like part of my heart thinks that Joni Mitchell's Lady of the Canyon. Included mm-hmm. some imagery of Judy because she was she was right there during that time. She yeah. was kind of one of the um, kind of c- considered a contemporary, and I'm just like, what's that life like? Yeah, <laughs> like what I mean, you know, people always say like, oh, wait, what time would you go back into? Yeah, and I always think like I wouldn't because it's all bad for fags. But maybe this time, maybe this would be my scene. Yeah, maybe. LA in this. Late 60s, 70s. Mm-hmm. I think it would be a hot commodity, honestly. I do too. Yeah. Me and Mama my... Cass just having a gas. Okay, so Judy, so, so Judy was kicking around uh, for a while. Actually, she gets The Turtles, the band The Turtles, cover mm-hmm. uh, one of her earliest songs called Lady O. And then she started um, opening for Graham Nash and, and David Crosby. And that's kind of when interest started uh, uh, coming up. And at first, what's the record label that wanted her? Atlantic. Oh, Atlantic. That's uh, record label. Boop. Boop. Um, but she actually decides to go with big old Fagala, David Geffen's brand new, just started, Asylum Records. Mm-hmm. Y'all, how much do you think David Geffen is worth? This is the music mogul. How much um, do you think he's worth? I don't know. Uh, $14 billion. Okay, okay. Well, no, eight billion. But okay, I guess once a Warren becomes president, that's going to be two billion. Because I've been reading all those articles. (laughs) Listen, daylight savings time for everyone. (laughs) Elizabeth Warren's going to make those billionaires go on daylight savings time in their bank accounts. So boom, diva jokes, diva jokes all through the episode. Um, so she was one of the very first people assigned to this um, record label. And this is where I'm telling you, girl, who else is on this label? Yes, you're Laura Nero. Oh, you're Linda yeah. Ronstadt. Um, oh, shit, Linda. Can you imagine? Oh, can you imagine? Linda, Joni Mitchell was on this. Joni Mitchell also mm. released things for... I mean, this is just... This had everything. And also, ooh, y'all, y'all, we all can't forget this. Because like our, our iconic Laura Nero, which we cannot wait to talk about... Um, our Judy was also a bisexual, a kind of out and out known bisexual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was a queer woman. Is this our first kind of actual queer woman we've talked about? Um, I was trying to think about that and I didn't want to put foot in mouth, but. Um, no, Susie, Sue, Susie Sue's bisexual, isn't she? She was openly bi. Okay, so then, we, so two, two. That's two. Um, oh, Rosie O'Donnell, there. Full on Leslie. Oh, shit. <laughs> we did. We also touched on the Indigo Girls and Melissa Etheridge on Pride. Okay, cut, cut. Jason's ignorant bullshit. If Phyllis um, Somerville doesn't identify as queer, she can still say faggot. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cut all this. Okay, bise- so so Judy was bisexual, and again, like it's hard to kind of find information about her, but I was reading in. Um, a write-up about her that one of her friends said that it was not unusual to go to Miss Judy's house and see a gaggle of girls all naked sunbathing um, in, like, her back uh, yard and essentially just, like, worshipping her. And she'd always be like, oh, I just have this one around to clean the house. Oh, hot. I think she had, like, a hot. She had, like, pool know? girls. Pool girls and just, like, a full-on uh, devotee. So, okay, so David got Judy in the studio in 1971 to uh, work on what it would be her self-titled album, which which is so crazy to me. This was the actual first album released on that record label. Hers wow. was the very first. I know. Wow, that's crazy. It is crazy, and it's actually slightly really sad because that it, it was the first release, and they were all gearing up, and this was a big thing. Right after that was Jackson Brown and the Eagles albums came right after that. Wow, that's incredible. Yes. 
it's incredible, but it also really overshadowed her. Oh, right. Um, so, but the, but the album is, y'all, it's just crazy. It truly is a masterpiece. It combines love of the cosmos, mixing in country and folk, and this, like, really trippy, like we were talking about, Baroque style. Um, using what I would consider her signature, which is her layered vocal techniques. Yeah, she would, like, lay herself singing over herself in harmonies and fugues that are very Why? Beautiful. Because she can harmonize with herself, y'all. She yeah, like, to harmonize her, yeah she didn't want to sing with anyone else. Nope. Um, and it really has this, like, kind of trance-like vibe to it. And her first single, okay, here we come. This is, uh, this is Jason's um, Heart Hour. Because uh, her first single, really kind of, I think, her, what would be considered her only single, was actually produced by Graham Nash. Uh, which was kind of fabulous. And that song, that song, which is in my top three most important songs of all time, uh, Jesus Was a Crossmaker. Sweet silver angels over the sea Please come down, fly and low for me One time I trusted a stranger Because I heard his sweet song And it was gently enticing me Though there was something to the song more in my life than almost any song I I don't it touches so many different chords and emotions in me I think that song has heartbreak it has um, it has desperation it has hope and it has joy it's like it's all of her lyrics right they're kind of confusing wouldn't you say they're kind of like poetic and hippie and confusing yeah and I feel like this this has it too I hear the thunder come rumbling the light never looks so dim I see the junction get nearer and danger is in the wind and either rose looking on Judy's life. Her songs don't really deal with all of that. She no. actually like doesn't really write autobiographical about herself, except this song. And this song girl was written about, did you know this? J.D. Suther. I think he said that name right. J.D. Suther, uh, who was considered a Laurel Canyon lady heartbreaker. Mm-hmm. And supposedly he left her for Linda Ronstadt at a birthday party, which other fun fact he wrote for Linda Ronstadt, Faithless Love. That song that we Ooh. love. That song that we absolutely adore. We love Faithless Love. And so Judy was reading The Last Temptation of Christ. As and she did, just like sitting around her azure-colored hotel suite with a bunch of pool girls, just like reading the Bible, reading The Last Temptation Buck of naked. Christ. Buck naked. And, and, so she, and, that, and that book deals with um, kind of Jesus' missing years in which... Um, it's imagined that Jesus was a crossmaker for the Romans, right? And uh, and so and then G- and so Judy was was reading that and was like, "Oh, heartbreaker, crossmaker, those rhyme." 
Mm. And so she kind of put it together, and it's just a beautiful song. One time I trusted a stranger because I heard his sweet song, and it was gently enticing me, though there was something wrong with when I turned. He was I'd like to read right now a review on Pitchfork um, for, for for her two albums. Uh, I don't know if we mentioned it, but so Judy only ever had two albums and then was in was basically in the obscurity and completely unknown until 2005 when her albums were released and kind of interest was drummed up again. And she was starting to be heralded as the true genius that she was. And I just really love this part of the review that when Pitchork reviewed them around that time. Still's music was complex, elegantly crafted, and yet completely devoid of pretension and overwrite melodrama. Often accompanying her clear, unmannered voice with just her acoustic, acoustic guitar, Still made music that seemed more suited to a small chapel than on stage at a club. Unfairly lumped in with her other female proto-adult contemporary songwriters like Joni Mitchell or Carol King, Stills was much closer in spirit to Brian Wilson, Nick Drake, or one of her idols, J.S. Bach. She had a gift for making very complicated things sound simple, beautiful. Often her arrangements took advantage of a chamber orchestra or layers of vocal harmonies. Rather than seeming pumped full of grandeur, they were tiny miracles of poetic efficiency. Mm. Isn't that... I love that. Yeah, because she wasn't, and she talked about, like, they would always make her open for rock rock bands. And she was like, people going to see rock music. Stop reading my notes. Don't want to see, don't want to see. Um, you are so psychic. Church music beforehand, right? They want to see, like, they want to see another rock group. And she wasn't that. And David Geffen just pushed her in a way that wasn't helpful. You know, girlfriend, I love it. You, you are really. I mean, you literally—it's like you, you, you hacked my computer. We are psychically connected. On me. This we is are psychically connected, Judy. Um, but yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. And she she hated open. And I actually think it was really unfortunate because she would be pushed out there with an acoustic guitar to play her songs, and that's not. I don't think you can tell that she envisioned them as much grander. You know, yeah. a, a kind of bigger pieces. And so she's out there and like she talks about how she was just like gagging, having to open for three dog night <laughs> because people just didn't want it. She was like, A, they, she thought they sucked. And uh, people just didn't want to hear that. And it was just not really conducive. And yeah, you're, like you're right. At a certain point, she was like, I'm really fucking done with being an opener. Like this is bullshit. And it's not yeah. how I see myself or how I actually see my music. And you can kind of see, there's a couple, there's like, I think one kind of obscure live recording of her in 1973 of her performing these songs live. There's actually a live album too. And I do think it takes away, I feel like she needs a full band. She needs some yeah. backup singers. You know, she, that that's where the magic comes in is in her arrangements too. Uh, on the second album, didn't she do something where she like took over and she can, ended up conducting the orchestra? Yes, Mammy. And doing um, all the music arranging for Heart Food. She was like, fuck you guys. I'm in charge of this now. Yeah, and she even, she even was in control of the album cover of her mm-hmm. just like looking kind of um, pensive. And so, so okay, so that's, the, so that's her only other album, as Nick said, which was called Heart Food. Do you love that album? I love that album. It's so good. And, even, and learning about that made me love it even more because it felt like she was, had more control of it, you know? So my favorite song of that album is when the bridegroom's bridegroom comes. Oh, I love that song. Isn't it just an it's, earworm? It's so filled with so much Christian imagery, but also this imagery of this wedding, and it seems it and seems it, almost think, it seems almost medieval. Yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of medieval, and there's also I mean, she's like you know keep your door open wide. 
Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's some, there's something kind of very sexy about it. And again, shrouded in mystery. When the bridegroom comes, is an actual lift. It's actually in the Bible. I think it's like a Matthew. See the bride and the spirit are one. And won't you who are thirsty invite him to come? mix of love and sex and religion and like the idea of like waiting for your pray that your love endures until he comes to you you know that like that like wedding night anticipation thing but it's also like keep your hope open because it might not happen so like you have to keep your hope you have to keep that hope alive terry by that lamp till he calls for you i just I think she is so special. I, I just, I have such a love for Judy Sill. It's just. The imagery just think, is so rich. The imagery is so rich and the music is so complex. It's really gorgeous. And, and like, I do think like that review, her voice is always so clear in it. Like mm-hmm. she centers her voice. She never hides behind. Uh, and in fact, she like, she, she layers it. So you can even, so it's even almost a lot of times more pronounced. And I just think it's, I think these two albums really are could be considered anyone's greatest albums of anyone's careers. Oh, you know, yeah. I think they're that great. I think that they are truly that much of a masterpiece. That and they they're are. really complete as pieces. Yeah, they're singular. They're uh, they're so whole in their ideas. Can I bring up my favorite song now? Yeah, babe. <laughs> Which is from her first album. It's called Crayon Angels. <laughs> Crayon angel songs are slightly out of tune But I'm sure I'm not to blame Nothing's happened but I think it will soon So I sit here waiting for God in a train To the astral plane Magic rings I made have turned my finger green And my mystic roses died Guess reality is not as it seems So I sit here hoping for truth And a ride to the other side Where is Judy waiting to go? The astral plane, Mama. The ad astral plane, babe. Oh, the ad astral plane. She's she, she's got to go see our she's got to go see our girlfriend. She's going to see our Natasha Leone on the Natasha Leone. astral plane. No, I love that song so much. It like it reminds me of childhood and the idea of like God and angels and all these kind of mythical imaginary things that are spinning around you at that time mixed with your imagination you know the prophet stole the only light I knew and the darkness softly screamed holy visions disappeared from my view but the angels come back and laugh in my dreams I wonder what it means It reminds me of the song that's also from that um, album called Looping Through the Cosmos and she's, she says that that song is about 
getting people, um, uh, rescuing people uh, after the apocalypse, all the sensitive people, and putting them up on a ship, on a spaceship. Oh, and I, I felt like that's that. the sensitive people to me. Like, oh, she write, that's what she's writing about. She's a sensitive person. And that's what Crayon Angels is about. It's about, like, mm-hmm. the sensitive people. I was like, oh, yeah, like, that's... And you can just tell that she has deep obsessions and thoughts that she like puts into words and poetry. And like, that's kind of where she's working from. Like you said, she didn't really work from this personal angle. And I love that. I really love that. Yeah. And the scary kind of ending part of it too, where she talks about phony prophets and like losing her vision and like darkness and all of these things that happen to us well, until the, until the angels come back to her until inspiration comes back. And like, it's just a beautiful song. And I, I love how it ends with, I wonder what it means. Cause that's how I feel about all of her music. You know, like I wonder what I it wonder means. what the fuck it means. I know it's like really funny. There's um, a lost album and I can't remember what song it is, but in the intro of one of the songs, she's like, now you really got to listen to this. The, the lyrics here, they're really good. And it's like, girl, I love that. Like, you think anyone knows what the fuck you're talking about? And, and, and well, anything you write, do. but it's so, the poets do. The goddess does. Um, and so unfortunately, Mary Kay this, Place does. You know Mary Kay Place <laughs> listens to Judy Still every day. Well, D- well, Diane's Palms is in heaven, so maybe that's like what they wake up to every morning <laughs> to do their cheers Absolutely. to. They do their Judy's chores. with her. Yeah, they're having chores while listening to Judy Still. So <laughs> she's singing them live up there, babe. I listen to um, Dolly Parton when I have to do my chores. Oh, you do? Yeah, because it gives me bounce and it makes me feel. I turn on um, Butterfly. What's that album? Um, okay, well, the, so, so so unfortunately, that's kind of it. After this album, it was all, so the first album wasn't really a commercial success, and then neither was this album. And you know, like Asylum was starting, and there was all of these big names, and I think she just kind of got swept under the rug. Supposedly, she went on the radio and kind of said some unfavorable things about David Geffen, and he heard about it, and he just cut her. Yeah, he called. Her, she 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 called him a fat fag. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, that's not very nice. No, um, Judy, that's not very sensitive, girl. Judy, especially coming from a fat fag, that hurts. That hurts really bad. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and then like we said, I guess. She kind of went into, she had maybe a couple car accidents that left she her in did, a lot of yeah. pain. Yeah, and then got addicted to opioids again. And then what happens after the opioids run out? She got she, back on the bad, bad tar heroin. stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's like nothing ever fucking changes, you know? And she died of a heroin overdose. Yeah, in 79. But then that's a long time to, to, to go into the wild. She yeah. did make recordings for a third album, which was posthumously put together, kind of. Yeah, so in 2005, when the kind of interest was drummed up, they also started releasing, they re- they released this. She made about seven or eight demos that they kind of drummed up. And then they released some of her home, home recordings. And that's really all we have of her. And listen, and that's to called his, dream. And that's called dreams come true, right? That's called dreams come true. And listening to it, it <laughs> this is so corny, but I was like, "Fuck you, drugs, for taking some of our best away, mm-hmm. for for taking them out into the ocean and drowning them." I felt, I felt like such this. I started crying uh, listening to her. I think what is like her home demo of uh, five hundred miles. And oh, yeah. just thinking about and her, her listening to her doing her Judy thing on that song. There is someone that's she's singing with and and all of her ideas. And I just thought, what all of the ideas and inspiration we lost. Like I think she had so much more in her. If you miss the train I'm
love that song, right? I love that song. And thinking of like how she didn't have a home to return to. I know. That lyric, I am one, I am two, I am three, I am four, I am 500 miles from my home. And that so much of her music was actually about going home to like another plane, you know, to a different kind of existence. Mm -hmm. Like as we currently define theosophy for you to like, to return (laughs) to the divine light or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's so much of what she was looking for. She needed a home to aspire to get back to. Mm -hmm. So there was actually no obituary written after her death. And a lot of people were like, um, didn't even know she had died. And that's how far into obscurity she had fallen into. And her... Oh, yeah. David... They said that David Geffen didn't know for a year. Didn't find out until, like, after a year. It's, like, crazy. Her funeral was run by the Self-Realization Fellowship, which is um, a group, (gasps) a spiritual group, based on the teachings of uh, Paramahansa Yaganda, who was a yogi based out of Mount Washington, Los Angeles. Bitch, it's right here! I know. all. We have a lot of battle angels who live in Mount Washington. So um, uh, it was this yogi's teachings, I think he started in like the 30s or the 40s, and then they opened places in like uh, Oakland and in L.A. And then it was run by a woman from 1995 until 2010 named Dayamata. Because at that time, in like the 50s and 60s, many Indian gurus were passing on leadership to women as female leadership was considered the new wave of spiritualism. And I hope our country gets on board with that idea next year, too. And um, so (laughs) this place had lots of, uh, like, it was yoga and meditations. You can become a monk. And this is the same spiritual center that George Harrison was a a big supporter of. And uh, he gave all of his royalties from uh, one of his songs, I forget which song it is, to them. And Elvis used to visit there a lot during the late 60s. Yeah, so it sounds... If it is a cult, it sounds like a totally nice cult to me. And they spread Judy's ashes into the Pacific Ocean. <gasps> oh, I'm going to cry. The, it's still open, actually. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll go yeah. there today. I might go and hang out. I live, I live oh, right near Washington. Oh, that's cool. Washington, yeah, you should Angel, go up so. there and listen to the albums at, I at really the should. Spiritual Center. Yeah. I, I really might. That actually is something that sounds so beautiful. Oh, that's so gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. This is, um, I'm going to end on a quote that she put into, uh, uh, within Rolling Stone. I think it's really fabulous, but kind of about being an artist. It's, uh, she says, when I made up my mind to be a serious songwriter, my first intention was to write something for the good of humanity, because I knew I wouldn't get any reward of any kind if I didn't do something for other people. Yet basically, I'm so selfish and greedy that I covet spiritual achievement. So I have to work hard at transcending that greed. Still, at the same time, I'm conscious of my greed. I mean, I want to achieve something materially. I want to achieve something as far as getting more attention, you know? So I want to do something for the good of humanity. But at the same time, I also need to feed my hungry monsters. Wow. So complicated, right? So it's like also the way that we... You know, it's like, why do we create? We create probably for ourselves first and then to be seen and then to kind of get feedback on that. But there's and a duality. There's a that duality, duality to it. Yeah. And I love how she talks about that. I love that too. That's beautiful. Actually, I was listening to an interview. Judd Apatow has put together this book about Gary Shandling. You know, and Gary Shandling, a lot of his journals and stuff are wow. all about the same two things. Like how much he wanted to succeed and be a star in comedy, but how he comedy was maybe about just helping the world feel better by showing them your pain. Hmm. And that those two rival needs like always fought at him and gnawed at him and he could never really um, square that circle, you know? And I don't think anyone ever could actually can really ever square that circle. Um, and I, but I think it's that tension there that makes that makes art and the people who really wrestle with mm-hmm. that. So it makes, makes, can make things absolutely so interesting. It's like, what, um, it's like what Joni is talking about in the song for free. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh um, it's a side note. Cause we're going to cover this album, but uh, you know, the song free man in Paris, mm-hmm. that was about, that was, her, she went on a trip with David Geffen and that, that song's about him. Oh, wow. Kind of, because he was that big, he was a big money mogul. And that's also why Judy was uncomfortable with him, was because he was on the business side of things. And I think that that makes a lot of artists uncomfortable when they have to talk about money and 
and you know quote unquote a career and so i think she felt tension in him and so it's kind of funny that judy wrote a song about him finally freeing up by traveling to like another country Mm. and kind of uh shearing off some of the burden like he didn't have to like just be so intense in making uh a living he could be this free man so yeah whoa we just took a little fun detour there didn't we babe yeah gosh gary shandling Joni mitchell judy still you didn't know they're all related to each other uh, I think we should go out on that t- on the the title of that of her supposed third third album. It's a really beautiful, uh, kind of soft ballad. It's called Dream-like. "Till Dreams Till Dreams Come True," um, and we hope that all of your fall dreams are going to come true this week, Battle Angels. We want you get to up a couple our... hours earlier for that daylight. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to do. Actually, it. you can't. I mean, it's still dark in, in the East Coast at like eight p.m., eight a.m. So, yeah. Um, but uh, you can make my dreams come true by leaving us an iconic <laughs> review and rating and following us on Instagram and Twitter. Um, we have no qualms squaring that hole. Give us a million dollars. Give us a million dollars. We're trying to balance the art and love and helping the world, which we do a lot of with the commerce, which we do so little of. So, so yeah. Yeah. So the balance is bad, bad. So help us restore balance because we're spiritual gurus and just, um, yeah, no, share the pod. We want to, we want more fans to listen. We love all the new battle angels who are coming on board and go back and listen to some previous episodes. If you want to get your religion on, listen to our Aretha Franklin, Amazing Grace episode. Or our Palm starring Dan Keaton episode. They're both all about <laughs> That's Jesus. it. Those are the only episodes we're ever, ever going to fucking talk about, which we did not know at that point. But also, um, with this episode, if you have a diva, a person that you absolutely love and adore, that you feel is kind of unsung, and you uh, want to hear their praises, send it to us. We love... I, I knew this, this diva, um, but we love to get to know divas uh, that we don't know. And research yeah. them. Yeah, really and I've loved getting to know Judy Sill over the past few weeks. And don't forget to get your copies of uh, Little Women from a bookstore that is not Amazon.com. And uh, read it with us. It's going to be mid-December, so you only have about a month. Delete so you your Facebook. Get your, get your read on. Delete your Facebook. Read this book instead. Okay. We love Bye, you. Bye, Battle Angels. We're going to go Bye. out on this beautiful song. Thank you, Judy. Bye. Bye. Steer.